are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material, and before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a Senior Economist here at Combank. And today I'm lucky enough to be joined by two members of our international economics team, Joseph Caperso, our Head of International Economics. Hi, Joe. Hi, Belinda. It's great to be back again. And Carol Kong, an Associate within our International Economics team. Carol, great to have you on. Great to have me. (laughs) Now, we have just... uh, dated our global economic and central bank forecast, Joe. And to be honest, it's pretty sobering reading. We've been talking about how central banks, particularly the US, have been behind the curve in terms of uh, lifting interest rates to control inflation, I think for almost a year now. Yes. But what, what we're seeing is the consequences of them not moving earlier, aren't we? That's right. M- most central banks in what you might call the West, so... Um, Western Europe and um, North America, Australia, New Zealand, inflation is a long, long way above their their inflation targets, which are typically around 2% uh, percent or, or so. And um, w- I guess we've sort of learnt, we can look back and we can learn a lesson that policy was just too easy mm. for too long during the, the pandemic phase. So... With the benefit of some hindsight with that rising inflation we've seen uh, throughout, as you say, high-income Western economies in particular uh, that we're seeing now, uh, with, I guess, looking at the data, largely the pandemic impact is kind of behind us. Was it strong demand or supply-side issues that created inflation? Well, it certainly started with both uh, strong demand and supply Mm. problems. Uh, but with hindsight, um, particularly when you do uh, cross-country comparisons, uh, you definitely see two camps. And in, in the camp, you've got uh, the West, where consumer price inflation is really high. And I think a, a good reason for that is private demand is growing very strongly. Mm. And uh, part of that is that government um, stimulus was really targeted to consumers and then in the other camp, you've got East Asia, uh, where inflation is running about half what it is in the West. Consumers were not the uh, the recipient of such yeah. government largesse. And uh, also, East Asia is where a lot of the supply constraints uh, start. And um, I think it, that when you put the, the world into two camps, you have to really conclude that it's mainly strong demand in the West as opposed to the su- supply problems in the East. So that brings us, I guess, to really the crux of the report, which is central banks are moving very aggressively and very quickly to remove monetary policy accommodation and, and move them into restrictive territory, which is what we're f- predicting in uh, some of the major economies. What's the impact going to be on your global economic growth forecasts? So because much of the West has uh, very high inflation, we are predicting uh, a material increase in interest rates to address that, Mm. to pull demand down, to eventually pull inflation down towards target. 
and that's going to be costly. Yeah. Uh, the sorts of interest rate increases that we're predicting is going to be in the order of uh, close to to three uh, percent or three percent more mm. uh, in in the US and another um, in Australia at the other end of the spectrum, something in the order of a bit over one percent more of of tightening. So they are pretty significant uh, tightening when you consider the high debt levels in in a lot of these economies. So you've downgraded the outlook for the global economy. So you now expect 3.1% in 2022. You had had 3.4%. You're now expecting 2.2% in 2023, down from 3.2%. We'll get into each of the countries shortly, but there are potential for recessions. Well, that's right. I mean, 2.2% growth for the world economy, that is basically almost as weak as it gets. Mm. So I, I would I would probably call that a global recession. 2% is really weak. Yeah. When normal, normal economic growth for the world economy is something close to 4%. Yeah. So, it, of course, as you suggest, that we've got different forecasts yeah. in different economies, and some of them we do think will have a recession either later this year or, or next year. We're starting to hear a lot more talk about stagflation. Yes, that's right. It's been a uh, hot topic, almost yes. as hot as inflation itself. Now, you've written in your note that probably the two countries that we're more likely or have a higher chance of seeing stagflation is the US and the UK. It's probably a good part to start to talk about what the outlook for the US and UK are. So starting with the US, we heard from Stephen Halmerick in our last podcast on some feedback from his most recent trip to the US. What are we now expecting for the US economy and the FOMC? So for the US economy, we think it will grow about 3% this year mm. and then really slow down because of the big increases in interest rates in the US to only a half percent next year. Now, that's over the, over the full year. Yep. And within that, we, we do have the economy contracting uh, for several quarters. So that, that will be a recession on the, on the usual benchmark. And what about the UK? So the Bank of England started lifting rates earlier than a lot of other countries. It's kind of been a steady-as-she-goes type mentality there. What is the outlook for the UK? So for the UK, we think that their economy will expand by about 3.5% this year. Mm. A lot of that's front-loaded, but contract slightly over the full year next year by uh, 0.2%. So that, that is a really... Uh, that is a really steep deceleration in their economy. Um, And that's not, in the UK at least, it's not very controversial because the Bank of England have more or less been saying that for some months now. Yep. And lastly, before we turn to Carol, the Eurozone. So, I mean, there's been a bit of concern because the Eurozone's been closest to the conflict in uh, Russia and the Ukraine about the impact on their economies. I think it's fair to say they've, gotten through the very challenging period a little bit better than what people had expected and now yes. the European Central Bank are getting ready to tighten. That's right. They haven't. Uh, the European Central Bank has not tightened policy for quite some time mm. and, and they've got uh, a negative uh, d- deposit rate. Um, and given just how far away inflation is from their target, we certainly expect them to, to hike interest rates by, by quite a bit starting in, in, in July of this year following up in September of this year, and there'll be a number of hikes uh, remainder of this year and, and into next year. So we, we think that uh, Eurozone economic growth will decelerate from about 3% this year 
to about about a half percent next year. So similar to what we're saying for the United States. Interestingly, though, uh, it it looks like, at least so far, that the Eurozone is is going to weather the energy shock a bit better than the UK. Mm. Even though, as you say, the Eurozone is literally next next door to the conflict. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I'm going to talk about Canada now. So Carol's going to talk about what we're expecting out of that economy. And it's a really interesting one because they're obviously beneficiaries of higher energy prices, but are also very exposed to the US economy where we're expecting a slowdown. What's our outlook for Canada, Carol? Yeah, that's right, Belinda. So we are now expecting um, the Canadian economy to expand by 3.6% this year and 2.3% next year. Um, Like Australia, uh, the households in Canada are highly indebted. So we think rising interest rates and high inflation will ultimately um, hit the Canadian households are very hard. But then the Canadian economy has got a really tight labour market, in Mm. fact, an even tighter market um, than the US. And at the same time, they've got very high household savings. So both of the factors will help to um, cushion the fall in consumer spending in Canada. At the same time, as you said, um, as a very big commodity um, exporter, the key... um, the elevated commodity prices are going to uh, provide some support for the Canadian economy as well. Um, so I think given all that, there is a small chance that the Canadian economy will fall into recession. Um, but then again, the chance is growing um, given the US recession that may pull the uh, external demand for Canadian exports lower. And of course, you've got the BOC, they might uh, take the policy rate even further to uh, into restrictive territory and that may uh, pull the Canadian economy into a recession. Now, turning our attention to China, and I heard uh, Joe speak earlier that if there's probably one area that we probably misread in the global economy this year was China's focus on its COVID zero policy and the impact on its economy as a result. So what is the outlook for China? They're not facing the same inflationary challenges as other economies, but certainly their economy has been impacted by uh, their COVID zero policy. Yeah, you're right. Um, so we have certainly underestimated um, how mm. strongly committed China um, is to its dynamic clearing zero policy. The straight COVID policy has certainly um, taken a very big toll on its economy, as we've seen um, from the data in April and mm. May. Industrial production, uh, retail sales have both uh, have both fallen very sharply because of the straight lockdowns in Shanghai and then in Beijing. Um, we think it is possible that uh, China will uh, abandon its zero COVID policy uh, in October after uh, the Chinese government uh, holds a party congress. But again, the risk is that they will stick uh, to the COVID pol- uh, zero policy for even longer than we expect. So given, given the commitment to the zero COVID policy, we think uh, the Chinese economy will... Uh, for well short of its uh, very high target of mm. 5.5% uh, for this year. Uh, so we have downgraded our 2022 GDP growth forecast for the Chinese economy again, uh, now to 3.8% for 2022. And we think uh, the macro policy, um, which is 
very supportive uh, and that will help the Chinese economy to recover in 2023. So we now forecast the Chinese economy will expand by uh, 4.6% in 2023. Now, in terms of the uh, macro policy, as I said, it's been very supportive uh, because of the high economic cost uh, of its lockdown Mm. policy. The PBOC is going to maintain its easing uh, monetary bias, but given the lockdown restrictions and the weak uh, consumer and business confidence, uh, the uh, effectiveness of monetary policy is going to be weakened. So we think that the Chinese government will focus more on the fiscal policy. So infrastructure investment will be a very key part of that. And that's kind of been a continuation of what we've seen in in recent years as well. Now, Japan, it's always an interesting one. Uh, We've seen in recent weeks financial markets start to test, I guess, the patience of the Bank of Japan in terms of its monetary policy settings, given, I guess, global central banks are on the move higher. And we've also seen inflation lift in Japan. What is the economic outlook over there? So for the Japanese economy, we expect uh, the economy to expand by a very weak 1% Mm. in 2022 um, and then by uh, 0.3% in 2023. We think uh, the Japanese economy is going to experience a recession in late 2023 um, and that's mainly because of its very weak growth potential, uh, probably driven by structural factors like its ageing population. So very aggressive global monetary policy tightening is going to tip Japan into recession uh, later next year. Um, But as you mentioned, uh, markets have certainly tested Mm. uh, the Bank of Japan's resolve uh, um, to maintain its yield curve control policy. Um, We think that uh, the Bank of Japan will stick to its dovish monetary policy stance uh, at this stage. Of course, uh, Japan's consumer inflation has picked up and has hit a target uh, for the first time mm. in years. But then currently, the uh, higher inflation has been driven by higher energy prices. The Bank of Japan wants to see demand-driven inflation rather than cost-push uh, inflation. So... Well, we think the Bank of Japan will probably be one of the last central banks under our coverage to normalise monetary, uh, monetary policy. But then we're certainly getting closer to, to a normalisation there. Certainly interesting just to, to hear the differences in where central banks are placed. And it's really, as you said, all driven by the inflation outlook and the economic outlook. Uh, Carol, thanks for filling us in. Uh, appreciate it. Happy to be here. Now, you can read Joe, Carol and Christina's note on the Global Economic Outlook and Central Bank Forecast, and that was published on the 20th of June, 2022, uh, on combankresearch.com.au.